You're listening to the Digital Barbell Podcast. We believe that if you work hard, you deserve results, and that your training and nutrition should enhance your life, not take it over. Our mission is to provide you with a clear path to health and fitness through education, connection, coaching, and accountability. We are your hosts, Jonathan and Blakely Fletcher, and we are here to serve you. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to this podcast and leave us a five-star review so we can reach more people. You can find us daily on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Digital Barbell. Now, let's get to today's topic. All right, guys, welcome to the Digital Barbell Podcast. Thanks for being here. If you're new here, I'm Jonathan. Standing to my left is my beautiful wife, Blakely. If you've been around here forever, you already know that. (laughs) Uh, Before we get into this amazing interview with pelvic floor specialists, really their pelvic for physical, physical therapists at Austin Urology. Um, we do have a sponsor. You guys are going to love this episode, though. I learned a ton. Mm-hmm. I think you learned a ton. There's some practical things that you can walk away with. If you've ever experienced any kind of leakage or urinary incontinence during exercise, it's not normal. It's common. And you're going to hear things that you can do to take care of it. And today. fellas, before you turn this episode off, they said that half of their patients are men. So this is not that. a women's only episode this is useful information for both men and women yeah enjoy so stay tuned stay tuned don't turn us off yet today's sponsor is airstream (laughs) campers (laughs) sweet we're getting a free airstream (laughs) if you've never seen if you don't know what airstream campers are i can't help you um they're those silver campers that you see rolling down the road silver bullets not of course has anybody listening to this ever experienced new car fever where like something happens in your life and you just start thinking about getting a new car and you get online and maybe you go to a dealership and like it's all you can think about for the next three days yeah like you know we got back from this last trip to tennessee we were basically gone two weeks in the camper Mm -hmm. and then we stayed in the camper for another week at home for reasons we've talked about on this podcast also um and we're like you know what like we could probably benefit from having a bigger camper Mm -hmm. for a lot of different reasons, which maybe we'll talk about in another episode. But, um, so we've always liked the way that Airstreams look. It's like more of an investment. They they hold their value a lot more Mm -hmm. than a lot of the campers that you see out there. They look aesthetically cool. They're high quality, blah, blah, blah. All that kind of stuff. So we went to the local Austin Airstream dealer and just like looked at them. We have not bought anything. Don't get your hopes up about that. We've been to we've been to the Airstream dealer a few times now already because it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, wait, wait, wait. I didn't really see this one. I didn't wasn't sure which which one did it, I like. It's super. They have several different models. There's different lengths. There's different colors within the different blah blah yeah. blah. It's super confusing and a little bit overwhelming. It's not confusing. It's pretty confusing. It was at least I'm like not it's like learning a new language. <laughs> I'm not confused. Anyway, I know like exactly. If one. you've heard our other podcast sponsor little guy campers you know they've sponsored this podcast many times we still love our little guy let me let me tell the benefits of this of of us upgrading i was just gonna say our little guy might be for sale yeah if anybody has ever seen us maybe i shouldn't say anything bad about the pictures the little guy is fantastic it's super high quality yeah that's what we're realizing is like how high quality the little guy maxes are so when we first went into this we wanted a camper that we could pull with our forerunner and it was the teardrop shape we were within the poundage. We didn't know anything about campers. We didn't know anything about campers. We, I, you know, I sold some property and I was like, okay, this is what we're going to invest in this and blah 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 blah. We got the we got the little guy. Come to find out, it wasn't. We couldn't 
safe i mean we didn't feel safe pulling it with our forerunner so we upgraded to a truck that now we feel great pulling the little guy but you know there's some things that it's it's a little guy and (laughs) we're two people plus two dogs at a minimum in that sucker and it's tight one thing that is a problem for me about the way the little guys are made is that they just put like because it's so little they just put an air conditioner unit in the camper Mm -hmm. and so when the the air conditioner's on it is like we're in this little camper and we can barely hear each other talk. It is loud on low. Like, and that's it, like a trigger. And even in the car, I'm like, I, I hate like air noise. Mm-hmm. Like, and so when this air conditioner is on, like, unless we're sleeping, it makes me sleep good. Cause it's just like this noise. But and if we're trying to have a conversation, it's like really hard to hear anything. So airstreams, they're like ducted like a house. So when your air is on the air, air conditioner is on the top, you could hear them outside, but on the inside, it's through ducks and it's not overwhelming you mm-hmm. in the camper. That's the first thing. And the second thing is like, since it's so small, it's like where you sit is your table. You're and like a little guy. Yeah. And like, so I have to like squeeze in, but you know, squeeze into my little seat. He's in his seat and that's the only place to sit unless mm-hmm. you're like in the bed. You're not doing so, a very good sales pitch for this. This is here. just, I mean, it is a perfect camper for like going like a weekend or longer trip. For one or two people, it's like easy to pull. Like you have tons of storage for what you get. Like we have a closet, we have a full pantry, mm-hmm. we have tons of dish storage. I mean, just, it's amazing how much room they have in there. So if this is just like a week, in plus it's like lifted. It's like a you know you can boondock in it. It's really cool. It's like Got super solar. cool camper. We're talking personally about being in this thing for longer, mm-hmm. longer term. And these are some of the things we're looking for, like a couch area where we can hang out, and then a dinette where we can work and air conditioner where we can hear and a bed that we can make without without like we we're, the only piece of our bed that's exposed like if this is the bed there's like two little slivers of the bed that's exposed the rest of it is surrounded by walls mm-hmm. it's extremely hard to make <laughs> it's a five minute procedure to make the bed so whoever doesn't make their bed this would be a great yeah if you care about you. making your bed i like to make my bed in the morning and yeah it's i'm like sometimes i'm like just do this jonathan so anyway. we appreciate airstream sponsoring this if you could like just like knock your prices in half we could make this thing happen so, so we're, yeah we're currently we're currently deep in the obsession of like yeah you knew used like mm-hmm. the certain years that they ducted you know started in 2016 they started ducting the air so anything older than 2016 is a no-go for us already how much you know, plasma are we gonna have to there's donate? certain lo- there's certain looks that we like you know like of course inside like mm-hmm. anyway okay let's talk about an, a, a more legitimate <laughs> sponsor reminder that we have partnered with athletic mm-hmm. brewing we're ambassadors of the brand if you're trying to drink less this summer or just in general you don't want to sacrifice tomorrow's workout your body composition so athletic brewing is not alcoholic beer the best non the best tasting non-alcoholic mm-hmm. brews on the market we do not make a dime if you buy athletic brewing but we can save you 20 percent off 25 percent 25 mm-hmm. man that's a great deal I think it's it's 20 is 20 25% because our code is digital barbell 20. Yeah. Sorry. So yeah. So 20, we get 25 off. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so just go to digitalbarbell.com slash athletic. And if you want to try it out, you will not, you will not, you will like it. That's what I'm trying to say. Blakely's favorite is the upside Dawn. I'd say it's a tie for me between that and the run wild IPA. And they're also only like 50 calories per can, which is way less than a real beer, certainly less than an IPA. They recently sent me a t-shirt, so expect to see that soon. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't even seen the shirt yet. I guess you threw in the wash immediately. All right, that's enough of this nonsense. Let's get into this great episode with Jill and Elisa from Austin Urology. 
Okay, today's podcast guests, Jill Zambito and Alyssa Patel, are physical therapists at Austin Urology here in Texas. You might be wondering, what does urology have to do with fitness? Well, a lot actually, because millions of women experience what's called stress urinary incontinence, or SUI, during exercise. And they might not realize just how common it is and that there are actually things that can be done to help it. So thanks for being here today, guys. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having us. I'm really glad that we're doing this episode because um, it's definitely something that Blakely saw a lot when she owned a gym. I know that women would approach her with this problem a lot, and I know it affects a lot of people, and, and maybe it's kind of like, you know, people are afraid to talk about it because it's so personal, but I think it's important to bring up that there are things that can be done about it, and that's what you guys do. So before we actually get into SUI, though, I'd love to just kind of learn more about you guys, uh, your backgrounds, how you got into this field, and why you decided to specialize in this kind of PT. So uh, Jill, why don't you go first? Sure. So um, my name is Jill. Uh, I went to undergrad at the University of Texas at Austin and studied exercise science, and then did PT school at Texas State University. And so it's a doctorate of physical therapy program. And um, these days, physical therapists um, are pretty much all uh, doctorates or doctors <laughs> of physical therapy. Um, so that is kind of my my training and my background. And then right outside of school, I started at Urology Austin and did pelvic floor physical therapy for the past two years now. So I did all my training training at Urology Austin, and we all we see is um, anything really related to pelvic floor. So we're very um, specialized, and I um, I know that there are so many people that go through pelvic floor, um, different types of dysfunctions, and I know that it's a very needed field, and so that's kind of why I wanted to learn more about it and, and get into that field. That's awesome. What about you, Alyssa? Good intro, Jill. <laughs> yeah, so it's actually Alisa. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, that's okay. I get Alyssa all the time, so it's Alisa. But um, anyway, <laughs> so I went to St. Mary's University in San Antonio. I studied exercise and sports science there. And then I went to UT Health San Antonio for our um, doctor of physical therapy program. I graduated um in 2021 actually jill and i both finished up around the same time and then i my first job out of school was urology at austin um i had a clinical rotation there like in the pt program you have to do clinicals in different settings and i um you you get to pick like one specialty setting and i was really interested in pelvic floor so i had my rotation there and i loved every minute of it it was definitely the most difficult rotation I'd ever been through because of the level of knowledge. You don't really get a lot of um, pelvic floor rehab, um, like lectures in PT school. Um, it's pretty much all outside. So I was just really fascinated by it. Um, and so I got a job there and I've loved every minute of it. All my training has been on the job. Um, actually, Jill and I would be like we were both students there and um it was just always intense but it was like really exciting um and uh so yeah we both trained there together and then we've been there for the past yeah 
two, almost a little over two years. Um, what really draws me to pelvic floor is, or to pelvic health um, PT is just how, um, like the emotional weight that uh, is involved with like anything wrong with bladder, bowel, or um, sexual dysfunction and how it affects your um, daily life. And um, I just thought that that was just, I don't know, I just thought it was more, not that other areas of, of physical therapy aren't meaningful, but this is just hits you in a different way than yeah. um, shoulder pain, back pain. Um, because I would see on my rotation, I would see patients like break down um, in an evaluation or just, um, you know, how they would quit their jobs or they would, they wouldn't be able to go into work because of certain um, pelvic health issues. And so it's just really cool that we get to give people the tools and resources to heal themselves in this area of their life. So yeah, that's, that's really fun. cool. I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective. Like there's not a lot of, you know, stigma attached to having tennis elbow yeah. or patellar tendonitis or anything like that to help people <laughs> overcome. But like you're having a huge impact, not only on like the person's physical health, but all those emotional things yeah. that are tied up in it too. That's really cool. Well, um, yeah. let's, let's get into talking about SUI a little bit more specifically, kind of tell us at a high level what's going on. Um, you know, when someone is having urine leakage during exercise. Yeah. Um, basically stress urinary incontinence is an involuntary loss of urine associated with any kind of stress on the body. So stress that causes an increase in your intra-abdominal pressure. Um, and this can happen when the force put on the pelvic floor muscles, which are like a bowl of muscles. We'll get into that a little bit later on. And um, when the force on those muscles basically, basically exceed the ability for those muscles to function properly. And so then you have loss of urine. We need all of the muscles of the pelvic floor to be strong enough to basically compress and contract around the urethra to prevent leakage. So if you don't have that good support and strength of the muscles, then you're not going to be able to stop urine from coming out basically. Mm -hmm. So it's not really just a function of like the urethra itself being strong enough to withhold. There's things behind the scenes that are supporting things and making mm -hmm. things happen or not happen. Yep. Correct. Yeah. The muscles, um, and the same thing goes with like bowel, um, incontinence as well. Um, the anatomy of the pelvic floor, like all of the muscles literally like loop around the urethra loop around the, the rectum. And so when those muscles tighten, like it literally closes it off. And then when they lengthen, it allows for you to empty. So that anatomy um, is really important to, to figure out or to understand in terms of mm -hmm. why. So how common, how common is it? I know when I owned a gym, I, you know, several women would come up to me and, you know, tell me in private, they had some, you know, issues of like during certain movements. So I was curious how, how common is it? And is there anything like in particular that predisposes women to this? Yeah, I, I would say it's very common. Um, I think most of our patients have some sort of leakage and then there's probably a whole nother, you know, group of people that have leakage that think it's normal or they don't do anything mm -hmm. about it. Um, it's not usually the first thing people want to talk about, yeah. but there are certain things that, that predispose, um, women and also men to some men 
to stress urinary incontinence. So that could be pregnancy, um, even hormonal changes in women, um, possibly being overweight could just put more pressure on those muscles. And some athletes like gymnasts or athletes that are doing more jumping type activities that are just putting a lot of downward force on the pelvic floor muscles. Um, if you've had some sort of pelvic or abdominal surgery. So in our men, like if you've had a prostatectomy or a prostate removal, afterwards the pelvic floor muscles become weakened and so you'll see leakage after that. Um, Lisa, am I missing anything? Yeah, no, those are pretty all all of the good areas for sure. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's all of it. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, maybe this is a dumb question, but is it harmful to have this? Um, I would say that answer uh, is patient uh, dependent. So I would say that it's not normal to leak, but um, it depends on the severity of your leakage. Like I've seen women um, that soak multiple pads a day and do not want to leave their house because of how much they're leaking. Um, and then others that leak just a little bit, or they only leak during their workouts. And so women are like, like, I, I want to do more plyometrics. But if I do, I like need to stop and go change my under, you know, I need to go change my underwear. Yeah. Or, or it's very little. And they're just like, it's just really annoying. And I've put it off so long that um, I, you know, I'm finally doing something about it. And that's what's crazy is like a lot of women who see will have have dealt with some form of leakage for so long and they never knew about pelvic floor physical therapy or they, they just thought it was normal mm -hmm. and they just put up with it. And then it kind of gets gradually worse. Um, and they're like, okay, it's gotten too far. So I need to do something about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I agree. I think it's maybe not necessarily harmful, but it's definitely a sign from your body that something is out of whack. And so you want mm -hmm. to address that sooner rather than later before things like Elisa was saying, kind of get out of hand. And then you might develop these other um, issues as, mm -hmm. as well. So maybe yeah. it's harmful I, in as far as it like impacts your quality of life. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was no, I'm say, just saying. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I was just gonna say that that's just pretty mind-boggling to me. How like, some people come in and they're just like, "I seriously don't leave the house. Like, I yeah. try. I dread going to the grocery store. Like, I dread, um, you know, going out in public to a restaurant and things like that. Um, because the level of leakage can be that bad mm -hmm. for some women and men too. I think it's really important to, like. Jill and I, I, I would say like half the patients we see are men. Um, and they, anything that, um, anything that goes on, uh, with pelvic floor dysfunction with women, same thing can go for, for men. Cause we all have pelvic floors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. What we mentioned, um, you know, some of the exercises or things we can do in training that can be potential triggers. Can we kind of talk about what are the things that are most common for people to, to see symptoms with to maybe kind of normalize what people are going through? Yeah, um, there are lots of different exercises that could lead to leakage, um, but some of the big ones, you know, any, like I said, any, any kind of jumping activities, um, so like kind of like your HIIT training um, or even like power lifters, 
So deep squatting, um, possibly lunges, deadlifts, things where you're carrying heavy weight and the pelvic floor muscles are going to be working because they are part of our core. They help with stabilizing us. So in any of those type of exercises, our pelvic floor muscles are going to reflexively contract and be working. Um, but again, if you're not strong enough to support the load that you're lifting, that's what can lead to, to leakage. Um, and then you um, also, have... yeah, go ahead, Elisa. Go. Okay. I was just wanting to, um, piggyback off of what you're saying. Um, a lot of our athletes are, um, you know, a lot of them, whatever sport they're doing, whether it's CrossFit or runners or whatnot, they spend a lot of time training in like their specific sport or their specific activity and not really training the pelvic floor. Um, and that can be an issue because then, you know, with lifters and runners, like they're all about getting strong and um, skilled in that specific sport. So what can happen with the pelvic floor muscles um, is they can become very tense and shortened, just like you know, anywhere else, because we're training like nonstop in that specific area, that that tension is what is leading to leakage because the if we haven't already gotten into this, but um, with in with leakage, if those muscles are already shortened and then let's say you're lifting or running and then your pelvic floor is trying to shorten even more to hold back urine, it can't. And so it goes the opposite. Um, we kind of use this analogy of like, um, a, like squeezing a, uh, like imagine like a toothpaste tube and you squeeze in the middle of it. Um, and there's a cap at the bottom. Well, if that cap is nice and strong and like has good mobility, it can, the, the toothpaste isn't going to leak out of the tube. Mm -hmm. But if you squeeze it too hard and the cap isn't on if, if efficiently, then cool, the it's going to leak out the mm -hmm. toothpaste. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, that's what's important that we teach a lot of our patients is like training your pelvic floor muscles um, is equally as important as whatever sport or activity that you're doing. Yeah. I think that's a really good transition yeah. into kind of talking more about what, what exactly is the pelvic floor? What, what are the muscles that make it up? What's the normal anatomy of it? What are some of the dysfunctions like you already started talking about here? And then, and then we can kind of get into how we're going to address this from like a rehab yeah. perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, our pelvic floor muscles, <laughs> to put simply, are a bowl of muscles. Um, and they provide bowel, bladder, and sexual function. So these muscles connect in the front at our pubic bone and then go back into our tailbone, connecting to our tailbone and sacrum. And then they also expand side to side from our hip bone. So they support our pelvic organs as well. Um, and they are necessary for, like we've mentioned, making sure we're not leaking on ourselves, whether that's urination or um, fecal incontinence, fecal leakage. Um, they provide us with, you know, appropriate sexual function. Um, and they're a part of our core. So they're working to support and stabilize our, our bodies. Um, Elisa, what do you have to add to that? Yeah. So, um, I, uh, want to address more on like how they're a part of our core. So, um, the front of your core is like your all of your abdominal muscles, okay? And then you, the back of your core is your um, 
thoracic lumbar spine and all of the muscles around the lumbar region. And the bottom of that is our pelvic floor muscles. And then the top of that is the diaphragm. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more later on treatment because um, diaphragm uh, mobility is really important. Anyways, so think about it like, um, like a soda can. Um, and so if you kind of can picture a soda can, the top of that can is the diaphragm, bottom is the pelvic floor, front and back is what I said earlier. So um, all of our activities that we're going through, like when we lift, when we use the restroom, when we, um, not even like exercising, but like lifting something heavy into your car, groceries, whatnot, our pelvic floor is has to withstand all of the demands that we that are put placed that are placed on our pelvic floor, um, and so you may not even know it, but you're probably doing like with um, with squatting, with deadlifting, and then in in lifestyle um, and things that we do in our daily life with squatting and heavy lifting, our pelvic floor is contracting to prevent leakage from happening. Um, so the mobility of our pelvic floor is so important. Um, and none of us, a lot of us don't realize how important it is because if we did not have our pelvic floor muscles, um, like Jill said, it's literally everything at the bottom. If mm -hmm. we did not have that, all of our organs would like sag, you know? Mm -hmm. So like really realizing how important the pelvic floor is and the support that they provide, um, it's, it's pretty cool. So when you say mobility of our pelvic floor, what do you mean? Like, is it like the strength of it or the way that it so moves good, around? Yeah, good question. So your pelvic floor muscles, think about like a bowl, okay? Good mobility, they need to um, have good strength. They need to be able to contract, okay? Mm. So that's like a lift and tighten. And then that they need to be able to lengthen and drop. So in order for you to empty your bladder and your bowel, um, they need to lengthen and get out of the way. And same mm -hmm. thing with like um, having, uh, doing like a vaginal birth, they, those muscles need to be able to widen and lengthen to get out of the way. So having good mobility, contracting and lifting upwards and then dropping and lengthening downwards, having that, that's the mobility that is key to um, having optimal pelvic floor health. Okay. So we, um, like when we teach our clients to brace for heavy lifts and just gym safety in general, we typically, we use the Valsalva maneuver where we fill the, you know, inner abdominal cavity with air and then we brace against it. So basically the pelvic floor is the bottom source of holding all that pressure in. And if I'm understanding mm -hmm. this right, if it's strong, we, you know, we maintain everything mm -hmm. inside as we're braced in that mm -hmm. position. And then if we can go through a full range of motion with the pelvic floor, we're able to relax it and pass urine and everything else normally and in the relaxed position. Am I understanding that right? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. And you know, when you're not able to, um, at least to touch on this a little bit, but properly, um, coordinate the contraction between your diaphragm and the pelvic floor muscles. So if that, if you don't have that mobility between the two, so they're, if they're both not able to properly expand and contract together, that's when you start to run into some issues because when you're bracing or using load, you're putting a lot of that pressure just straight down onto the muscles. And so if they're not properly lengthening to regulate pressures in the abdominal cavity, you could have dysfunction or leakage, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Mm -hmm. 
So um, I also wanted to mention that a lot of us, um, especially with um, anybody that's really uh, engaged in uh, workouts and whatnot, um, they we have very tense pelvic floor muscles. So a lot of us struggle with the ability to lengthen or drop mm-hmm. our pelvic floor. Um, because think about it, everybody's doing squats, deadlifts, and, um, you know, working on their, their power or whatever, uh, movement, um, that they're focused on, um, have the ability of those muscles to drop and lengthen is important. And so when we don't have that, that's when, um, leakage happens. So there's it's one extreme or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically um, you can have tight pelvic floor muscles and leak, and you can also have weak pelvic floor muscles and leak. Okay. And um, we explain that concept all the time with our yeah. patients. How do you diagnose that what, to figure out which end of the spectrum people are getting symptoms from? Yeah, good question. So first, like when you are going to be evaluated by a pelvic floor therapist, we're going to ask you questions about your bladder function, bowel and sexual function. So we kind of have a list of questions that we ask. If we're looking for tension or if we're, if I'm kind of thinking like, okay, this person may have tight pelvic floor muscles, they may have um, bladder wise, they may um, have urgency, they may have frequency, meaning like they have to pee often. Urgency means they have to, like they really got to go all mm-hmm. the time. They can't hold it. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe I know, they I know that feeling. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You might be just uh, diagnosing me right now. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And uh, they maybe don't feel fully empty. Uh, Some patients are like, gosh, I just peed and I feel like I have to pee some more. Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe discomfort with urination um, or waking up frequently at night to pee. Um, And Jill, you can keep going if you'd like. (laughs) Yeah, no, those are like, the, you know, the big ones. Um, yeah. And once we get our kind of subjective histories, which can tell us a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> we get pretty, just from that, we can tell usually if someone is more on the tension and tight side versus the lax and loose um, side of things. But from there, we'll kind of confirm our hypothesis with an internal examination. So Mm-hmm. Um, testing the strength, the coordination, endurance of the pelvic floor muscles. So basically having them perform a Kegel um, while we have, um, while we're, you know, internally with a digit, one digit, one finger, um, so that we can actually feel those muscles. And then um, we'll also assess for, for tension around the muscles as well. What about on the, uh, the opposite end of the spectrum? Yeah, for- so weakness mm-hmm. um yeah so maybe someone uh they they don't have urgency or frequency or pain they just they just leak um mm-hmm. and it can be leakage like with walking or um leakage with um at the end of the day um you know after uh, a lot of activities at the end of the day they leak more um that's a sign of a lack of endurance um in those muscles but now if a patient comes in and they just leak with um, lifting heavy, sneezing, coughing, laughing, that gets a little tricky because it could be both tension mm-hmm. and weakness. And so that's where an internal exam is important to figure out. Um, so that's why it's important to be evaluated by a pelvic floor mm-hmm. PT before you 
self-diagnose and think, oh, I just need to do Kegels or whatnot. Because sometimes mm-hmm. Kegels, well, it depends. It, that's not always the answer yeah. for our De- patients. Depends how good they are at Googling their symptoms yeah. and finding what they're supposed to be <laughs> yeah. doing. <laughs> yeah. Do you find that like, in, you know, the person listening to this podcast probably trains, um, probably resistance trains, um, does cardio also. Yeah. Do you find that that active population skews towards one direction, tightness or weakness than a s- sedentary crowd? Yeah, 100%, mostly tension. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. Kind of thought so. Yeah, most commonly yeah. at the gym it was like jumping like double like jump rope or jumping on a box was like really the main issue with yeah. like, women came to me and it was like these are the two things that are like my triggers and that I'd you know prefer to not do these. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Obviously you can't write a, a or you can't diagnose anybody over this podcast <laughs> or write a training program yeah. for them to fix it. But so let's just kind of stick to the assumption that the person that's experiencing this, listening to this is probably on the tight side. What are some of the first steps that you take with your patients that are um, showing symptoms because of that? Um, I would say the first thing that I will teach them is proper breathing. So we're huge on diaphragmatic breathing. So, um, we keep kind of referencing this, but we have our diaphragm that sits underneath the rib cage, and then you have your pelvic floor muscles, which the two have to work together. So as we breathe diaphragmatically, you're going to inhale into your belly or into your rib cage. And as you do that, your diaphragm is going to descend downwards and to help regulate pressures in the abdominal cavity, our pelvic floor muscles are also going to descend downwards. So that that downward that descension of the pelvic floor mus- muscles helps them to lengthen and stretch if you have tight muscles that's what what you'll want to do you'll help you'll want to retrain those muscles to learn how to lengthen and stretch um and then as you exhale diaphragm kind of lifts back up and pelvic floor muscles are going to lift back up so it helps with lengthening and stretching the muscles, but it also is going to bring more awareness to those pelvic floor muscles, help with coordination of the muscles, and just better motor control overall. Um, and so we tell our, our patients that are presenting more as tension to do like 10 diaphragmatic breaths every hour throughout the day. Because a lot of times people with tension, they are going to be gripping in their abdomen, their glutes, their inner thighs. They're always tensing those muscles mm-hmm. without even realizing it. So mm-hmm. doing the breathing is just kind of a cue for our body and our brain to like let go and let those muscles relax. Yeah. It's almost like you're switching your nervous system over to the parasympathetic. Yep. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And I think too, a lot of it is educating our patients. Um, first, they, you know, we always start off after we've taken all of our questions before, whether before or after we do internal exam, explaining to them the mobility of the pelvic floor and what we're trying to get at is important for it to just click in their heads. And then um, making sure that they know, like, try not to hold your breath during the day or like try not to clench your jaw all day long. A lot of us are um, and I'm guilty of it, too, like walking around with our belly sucked in and like want to have good posture and everything but that is probably leading to most of the tension because if you're walking around sucking it in all day barely taking a deep breath in into your lower abdomen and pelvic floor region um that can lead to tension and so 
if that's the pattern that we've been adapting to most of our lives, they come to us and they find that it's a really hard time to do the diaphragmatic breathing that we ask them to. Um, Yeah. I had a friend that's a personal trainer and I remember I was teaching her how to do diaphragmatic breathing and I had the hardest time with her. She was just like, this is just the opposite of what I do. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Do you guys have a resource that we can share in the notes to this episode about how to do that kind of breathing? Yeah. Um, we have a handout um, that we give and we can also send a YouTube video link that will give further instruction. That's perfect. Yeah. Cause I'm kind of curious, like, what does it feel like? You know, I've done, I've done deep breathing and, you know, meditation type things and box breathing and that kind of stuff. Is there anything that you should feel when you're in your pelvic floor, when you're doing this, right? Mm -hmm. You should be feeling, um, like a slight drop or a bulge, like in your anus. Um, that's what we try to tell patients. And, So like if you're sitting um, on a firm chair and you feel like both your sit bones, if you take an ex, uh, sorry, if you take an inhale, you want to think about sending the breath low. Like I tell patients, visualize your pelvic floor like lengthening and you should feel your anus move closer to towards your feet. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just takes a lot of practice, a lot of retraining um, to have that awareness of what they're doing. Most patients, um, yeah, it's, it takes a couple tries to, to yeah. feel that. Good news is you can like do this at work and basically get paid, get paid to practice this. <laughs> You're just sitting there in your chair and nobody's knowing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's what we tell patients to do. Like uh-huh. you can do this wherever you're at, when you're sitting, when you're standing, when you're walking, um, just try to incorporate it in your day. Cause it's so important because all day long we're holding our breath, clenching mm-hmm. everything in between our core when we yeah. need to try to do the opposite to achieve that mobility and flexibility of the pelvic floor, just like any muscle in the body. Like if you think about it, I also tell patients too, like you're when you're doing bicep curls, like you're not just going to keep doing bicep curls all day long and yeah. like holding that in the entire time. Like you need to also have that good flexibility in that muscle. And so the pelvic floor is sort of, um, the same way in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause it's opposite of what we would think if we would think if we're having an issue, we should be not relaxing, you know, that's, yeah, that's we're, it's, too, it's too loose. We yeah. Have a problem. So if, if, in addition to the breathing, are there any particular exercises, say people are active or not active, like that they could, you know, be doing like just air squats or bird dogs or some of the things I might've, you know, heard of, but is there anything in particular that people can do? Yeah. I mean, good, you know, general strengthening around the pelvic floor muscles will be um, important. So we Mm -hmm. do give like more focus on deep core activation. So Mm -hmm. deep core is more of our transverse abdominis, our diaphragm, um, some of our back muscles. And so, you know, getting connected to the deep core will help more with properly, you know, using our core without just relying solely on our pelvic floor muscles Mm -hmm. to help stabilize us during our functional activities or exercise. Um, So we will give like our dogs or just the transverse abdominis activation where might seem easy, but you're basically just laying flat. You're coordinating your deep core contraction with your breath. So inhale, belly expands, exhale. Think about drawing rib cage together, hip bones together, holding that 
through the end of your exhale and then gently relaxing. So mm-hmm. training your core how to work with your breathing. Um, and of course, if you're seeing us in person for an assessment, we look at, you know, joints above and below the pelvis too. So we're looking at the knees, the feet, um, your hips, because if those are also, if those muscles or joints are also not functioning properly, then we want to address that, that too, because that'll be throwing off how your pelvis is functioning. But as far as exercises go, you know, based on our assessment, we may give specific exercises, um, but definitely deep core contractions, like okay. deep core exercises, like I mentioned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly, some, sometimes those are the hardest things to make yourself do because you're just, you know, yeah. it's like, am I, am I, what am I doing? You know, am I, am I doing right. anything? If it is, yeah. Like I only yeah. have 30 minutes to train. I'm not going to see this in the mirror. Why but, am I doing this? But Yeah. But you realize how, <laughs> how important it is. Yeah. yeah. I think too, um, if it's, if it's, if we're working with a patient that just has like all the tension throughout their core and pelvic floor, and they just need to work on relaxation. then we also like to teach, um, like ha- a couple of yoga poses, like happy baby and child's pose. Hmm. Um, and I like to have patients do their diaphragmatic breathing in those postures to really facilitate that length in the pelvic floor, um, so that's kind of like the two that we like to give. And then, of course, general um, hip mobility um, flex- and, um, yeah, general hip mobility yeah. stuff. Um, because, you know, not a, a lot of us could definitely um, um, benefit from hip mobility if we're yeah. – more- a lot of us are sitting at a desk for 8 to 10 hours a day and – you know, really stiff in the core, stiff in the front of the hips. So doing things to counteract that um, is is also helpful for achieving pelvic floor mobility. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Does this ever get bad enough to where surgery is on the table? Um, surgery? Yeah, I would say yes. Um, I've seen patients that... Um, will do like a bladder sling uh, surgery and that's where that's where the urologists come into play so we work um in the same clinic as the urologists do and um so any women maybe it just depends on the severity i think too if prolapse is the issue or is the driving force behind their leakage depending on the severity of their um, prolapse, they may need surgery. Um, it just, it just depends though, mm-hmm. but it can happen. So yeah. does that mean like the, they insert something that basically supports the weight of the organs that would normally be pushing on the pelvic floor? Cause they, they're not strong enough to hold on their own. Um, yes. So, um, depending on what surgery that is that they're mm-hmm. having, um, it, it is an external like support because okay. the, the, the own tissues, ligaments, muscles, um, aren't sufficient enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I would assume that's like a last resort as with any yeah. intervention. Yeah, absolutely. We see a yeah. lot of patients that are like, I'm here because I don't want to have yeah. surgery. <laughs> right. So yeah. I'm like, great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And one other thing to add to that is that I feel like surgery often will cause pelvic floor mm-hmm. tension or dysfunction mm-hmm. um, yes. or make it worse. So the more, you know, you can avoid surgery in general, uh, the better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just to kind of start to wrap up, like what I'm hearing you say is there is hope. If if somebody, man or woman is experiencing this right now and they're like, 
first of all, I'm weird because this is happening. You're not weird. It's super common. <laughs> if you yeah. feel like it's never going to get better, I think what you guys are saying is you help people make this get better every single day, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, knowing that urinary leakage is not normal and you don't have to deal with it, there is somewhere you can go. Um, so, you know, if it's something that on your own, you're not, it's not getting better, go see a pelvic floor physical therapist and they can really assess um, your muscles, your joints, and kind of your movement habits and patterns. Um, and they will help you find the root cause of your, of your issues and give you a good uh, plan and program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there is hope. I think too, um, so many patients that I see once they start to see results, they're like, why didn't I do this sooner? Like, I can't believe I put this off way too long. And I'm like, I know it's like, you know, this is an investment in your health and your well being. And like I said, how impactful pelvic floor rehab can be, um, just because of the, um, like the, uh, emotional connection with like your bladder bowel and sexual function um it's important so yeah. but i think um I, I i see that in like a lot of moms like you know so moms that have had like multiple kids they're just so busy and they're being such great moms and they're like i just don't have time and then finally they come in they're like okay i definitely need to make the time for this <laughs> yeah. So, yeah we have we have clients like that too so totally get it hope they listen to this episode <laughs> yeah was there anything that we missed that you yeah. think would be important to throw in before we go? Um, I don't think so. I think that's a good overview. I would just say bottom line, you know, Kegels, although that's kind of been what's out there. If you like said Google, that's like the first thing that comes up. So I would say yeah. don't just blanketly do Kegels yeah. to try to solve yeah. your problems because um, yeah. that often will make things worse. So worse. Um, yeah. do do diaphragmatic breathing. Um, but again, if you're having trouble with these types of things, I would go just get it assessed and see what's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, yeah. in the case Take that somebody is, oh. is going to say in case somebody is here in Austin, in the Austin area, yeah. what's the best way to, to find your clinic? And in, if they're not in Austin, where should they start? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lisa. So, yeah, um, so Urology Austin has multiple locations. I uh, work in Cedar Park, Round Rock, and Georgetown locations. And then Jill is South Austin and Westlake. Um, and so if, you know, they can, so our patients normally are already Urology Austin patients, but you don't have to be a Urology Austin patient. Um, we see patients that are referred to us from gynecologists, um, other urologists, um, uh, OB-GYNs, things like that. Um, and so their doctor will just write a referral for pelvic floor physical therapy and, and we can see them. There is a wait list though. And it's like this everywhere with pelvic mm-hmm. floor therapists because there's just such a need. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, so basically yeah, if, like, if your insurance requires a referral, probably start with your, um, your GP, your gynecologist, something like that, get a referral for PT. Yeah. Just like it was at your shoulder yeah. or your wrist or something. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, don't be afraid to advocate for yourself. So sometimes a provider isn't going to suggest pelvic floor physical therapy, mm-hmm. but that mm-hmm. is absolutely something, you know, you can bring up to your provider and say you're interested in it and, I'm sure they'll have no issues uh, referring you to pelvic PT. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Even, even too, like you may not think that you need it. Um, but then like it's, I think it's a good idea just to see a pelvic floor therapist just in case, because we may uncover something that you didn't realize was an issue that there is actually things that we can do to help or improve whatever it is that you are experiencing. So, um, so yeah, it's just, just like you're going to see your, um, primary care, you know, physician, I think, uh, us, uh, us physical therapists, I think are, you know, we are really undervalued and we can offer a lot in terms of musculoskeletal, um, we are musculoskeletal experts. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's just important to get a good, um, evaluation by a physical therapist for any, any joint, any, anywhere in the body just to see. Yeah, yeah, you guys had to go yeah. through the whole DPT protocol before you <laughs> specialize, so you know a lot about yeah. a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's good. Well, we definitely appreciate y'all's time today, and I know people will get a lot out of this. Yeah. I hope that it's done something to kind of break down the stigma and make people realize that they can get help. So yeah. thanks again for yeah. your time. Yes, thank y'all so much. Yeah, yeah, thank you for having us. All right. Yeah, we'll put the links to all the resources yeah. that we talked about in the show notes of this, uh, including the breathing exercises too. Yeah. So, all right. Thanks again, guys. Awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. We truly appreciate it. But real quick, before we go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Be sure and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Digital Barbell for all of the latest and greatest free content. If you're interested in working with Blakely and I, we'd love to talk. Apply for coaching with the link in the description of this episode or by visiting digitalbarbell.com. We'd love to talk about helping you reach your goals with a training and nutrition program built just for you. Thanks again and have a great day.